Growing the game from the grassroots. Now time to hear from this week's Grassroots Gun. Brando Vaulu started his rugby career at the Sunnybank Rugby Club in Queensland. He went to Brisbane State High School and played juniors, then through to senior rugby at the club, being selected to play for Queensland in 2006. He played 34 times until 2010, then headed to Tokyo where he played until 2014. In 2013, he was selected to play for Samoa, and today he has returned to his grassroots club in Queensland where he devotes much of his time. G'day Brando, how are you? I'm good, thank you. So, Brando, how did club rugby assist you in um, sort of in developing you as a player um, to achieve all you have achieved at the professional level? Club rugby's uh, helped me develop greatly uh, in a sense where it's kept me grounded. Um, it's almost at sort of that, in that stage where it's you're playing it when you're playing club footy and it's pure form where you don't get all that stuff we do in professional rugby and uh, you've got your mates throwing banter at you, you've got your coaches that, I'm not saying the professional coaches don't care but like you know you've got your volunteer base who can make up your coaching ranks who who are parents etc that you know really put in the time and I guess it wasn't until later on uh, in my career where I started to understand um, how big club footy is in terms of its volunteer base it's very um, parents are putting up their hands to um, volunteer their own time uh, to come down and help kids out and not just kids and men women and um, it's helped me out in the way where it's kept me grounded and um, realising how much respect I, I really have for all the volunteers and, uh, and rugby, mm. grassroots rugby. Yeah, and um, and what, so your experience at the professional level, like say in terms of, I don't know, training perhaps, um, aside from the off-field stuff, what about the training? What, what's the difference between your junior and youth years sort of in club rugby? Um, do you still do those basics when you get to that professional level? Are they still important? Basics are very important. The found, like you've got to have a solid foundation and, you know, you've probably heard this many a time with uh, building a house, you you can't build a house on top of a uh, no, non-solid ground, I guess. Um, so your basics is that foundation where you'll be able to increase your skill level, um, whatever skill it may be. For example, passing, you know, with your pistols, etc. Stationary and then progressing to walking and then obviously building up that speed from there. But yeah, basics is uh, very important. You'll find the professional players, even your Dan Carters or Richard McCall, still doing their basics, working on it, owning on it. Um, so, so just on the back of that, sort of what advice today would you give sort of young aspiring players if they wanted to get to the Queensland level or the national level like like? what you have achieved? The advice I would give to younger players uh, these days is probably not take it for granted. I know, back, I, I speak from experience, I know back uh, when I was playing, I almost sort of just did it because I could. Didn't really understand the significance of uh, being in that arena. It's uh, only until when I didn't have it anymore mm. is when I'm like, oh, yeah. well, it makes me work harder and want to get back into that space. But yeah, just not take it for granted, really. And and, um, and so at the moment, rugby in Australia has, you know, got some challenges, um, as we all know. Um, what do you think sort of immediately rugby in Australia needs to sort of thrive again? Win the World Cup. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that helps. <laughs> controversial topic, this one. Uh, everyone has many ideas and uh, how to make uh, rugby thrive in Australia again. But I guess it's, uh, you know, and I think Brad Thorne started it with uh, – 
reaching out into the country spaces, getting the players around there, getting them to sort of understand where they are, um, who they're representing, etc. Um, but yeah, more of that. Um, I know that Rugby Australia doesn't have money at the moment, so <laughs> it's a tough one to go, oh yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know, to be honest. One of my short answers win a World Cup. <laughs> yeah. So you think sort of like, you know, the, the success at that top end of the game, you know, sort of filters through and um, provides a bit more focus on the sport and, and also sort of those aspiring players, you know, see something they can achieve, you know, uh, and, and makes them want to sort of work harder and just puts a renewed sort of focus on everything, plus obviously the commercial outcomes of yeah. getting some more money for the sport. Most definitely. I think the top the top guys need to perform. Mm. Um, Australian rugby professionals need to perform, but at the same time they need to invest in the grassroots and then hopefully hopefully it can meet in the middle. Um, I think that's probably the best way to go about it. They, uh, they need to perform the Wallabies. Come on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you've um you've gone sort of full circle and now you're back at Sunnybank and you're devoting much time there what sort of say if there was an investment back into the grassroots and say your club you know got some funds and you know to develop the players and develop the game what do you guys need that you know those resources mainly for where would you invest it I would have invested into the programs getting getting probably spot coaches to come in who specialize in certain areas whether it be set piece um, PSS, etc. Um, I'll definitely invest in the women's program, developing our girls' program as well. Um, I think there's a met of the girls that we have at Sunnybank have massive, massive potential to go on further. Into now they've got the gold medal um, at the Olympics now to compete for. But you know, I think the top guys who run the show need to sort their stuff out <laughs> and actually come up with a proper competition, proper academies and programs for these girls, and not just go on and off. Um, you know, one week here, one week there without no pay. I think it's a tough ask for anyone, especially majority of the women are mothers and they have full-time jobs and then they have to juggle all this program stuff that they get asked to do and I think that's pretty tough. But, yeah, I'd invest in the women's program and the programs themselves. So with the girls there at Sunnybank, um, do you have a good sort of number of um players that play 15 aside or is it sevens rugby you know that they're sort of you know leaning more towards what you know what's the greatest participation there in terms of the women's game in what form of the game um it's it's both to be honest um majority of them you know once they finish uh 15 the 15 aside game or 15 aside season they jump straight they jump straight into sevens um we're not really sure for numbers in that regard but i guess in terms of commitment now these days and also other sports that we have to commit compete with you know it's getting hard to hold on to them um so i've got a partner who plays rugby but now is enticed and now she's gone over to rugby league and um because the fact that they offer contracts mm. you know free gear free fees they don't have to pay fees and um and then the possibility if she makes rep team she's going to get paid and i'm like oh well you know I'm, like, I'm here as the senior participation manager for sunnywhere casting them to pay, pay fees <laughs> and that is a big factor isn't it for those sort of aspiring players, you know, where they've got the um, some people doing some groundwork at grassroots, identifying those talented players, offering them contracts. And then they, you know, a lot, we hear that a lot, you know, that they move sports, you know, so we've developed them in rugby union and then they, you know, get offered a contract, they get offered an opportunity that they don't see existing in the pathway in rugby union. So they go to league. So um, 
what what do you think it would take would have taken to keep your partner in a playing union? Oh, I didn't think it would take much since I was her partner, but I mm. guess uh, she's still in the union, but she's she's doing both. But like, I guess if she had to choose, she'd probably choose league. But if uh, not too sure, to be honest, I think if we are offering the same as league, then you know. Because um, I know that the women's team has a great culture, especially at Sunnybank. And if we're offering the same as what she's getting from league, then I know she'll stay or will choose us. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just the women too. You see a lot of, um, you know, young players getting sort of poached or, you know, sort of encouraged to move to league for, you know, contracts or monetary amounts um, and opportunity. And, you know, that's what those aspiring players want. So, yeah, it's 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 hard to hear that. But, um, you know, we, we'd like to develop a program where we can keep these players in the pathway um, and give them some opportunities in union, you know, especially, as you say, for the growing element of the game, which is the women's game and I agree there needs to be a bit more investment there um and so for you um I ask this question of you know everyone that comes on to rugby KO um for one thing that you think is if say you were the CEO at Rugby Australia and you're given the reins what's the first thing that you would do to sort of implement or change what's happening at the moment (laughs) (laughs) That it's a long fun. conversation, I know, yeah. but just if, say maybe one or two things that you would uh, do. Oh, to... what would I do? Work out a way where um, have, I've had a lot of talks with our team with um, um, around how can we how can we make our product at Sunnybank of value. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just trying to figure out how how can we make Australian rugby product of value and entice those to come over and whatnot and entice them to stay without having to fork out thousands and thousands of dollars because you know the first move I'd do is probably cut the players uh, the top guys uh, money in half mm. <laughs> you know especially matches match fees and, yeah. and whatnot but I don't know it's a tough tough one it's just trying to figure out what's that what's that uh, link in terms of making our product of value and where we've got people lining up to come and sign up and um and etc and still enjoying and developing themselves not just on the field but off the field as well it's a tough question it's interesting one because back not that long ago we got some engaged crowds and people wanted to come for that match day experience and now you know that that's a struggle and that's a it's a big part of the revenue for the game obviously the the takings at the gate so um i guess it's working out how to engage that audience as well and as you say make it a viable commercial product so in 2013 in your day you played um for Samoa um how was that experience um in 2013 um what you know was rugby sort of pretty well followed and and liked what was that experience like for you um it was it was probably one of the best tours I've ever been on um, it was something very different to what I was used to. Um, but I think prior to that, um, we we went to South Africa and we weren't staying in the uh, fancy um, places. Or well, it was pretty decent, but not what I was used to when I was playing super. Um, you would turn up to training with no footies and, um, available to train with. Um, 
but in saying all that, what kept us together and what keeps those players coming back is just the camaraderie, the culture, um, brotherhood of the of the players where, you know, they just want to be around each other. But not only that, they, they can see the bigger picture and representing not, not only themselves, but their family, you know, for their country. Um, so the day, majority of the Samoan players, um, and I'll probably speak for myself, actually play for the jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that all the other countries don't, but I just know with Samoans, like, you know, the money's not there. You know, you get paid peanuts to play, mm. but we always turn back up for the jersey. Yeah, there's yeah. that real pride and patriotism to the country and the people. It's a great culture and there's really something to be said for that. And I think that's why we see, like, when we saw, say, you know, Fiji win the, you know, the sevens, um, just the way that the nation got behind them, but also yeah. celebrated, you know, and I know in the Pacific Islands, you know, everybody is, is quite proud of their country and proud of their nation and um, proud of their players. Yeah, what a great experience for you. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it was a great experience and very humble to actually represent uh because I didn't realise how much it meant to my parents. Mm-hmm. I'll come back and when I told them they were crying, so I was like, no, oh, I didn't realise, but even just not to your parents, but your whole family as well. So yeah, that was parents. And just um, just really briefly, Brando, um, your time in Tokyo, was that like you were there in 2014? Yeah, I was there. Oh, Jesus, a long time ago, I can't remember. Um, it's an amazing city, um, full of life. I live smack bang in Tokyo, like majority of the club team teams are probably out in the outskirts outside but I was smack bang in danger town where it was just 24-7 um, just lights people walking around etc but people very friendly, friendly over there mm-hmm. uh, enjoyed I enjoyed being uh, the off field stuff you know just relaxing and having time but come on field they make you earn your money they, they make you run days um, so you're like I'm carrying 100 plus kgs and you know you got the local players the Japanese just 70 odd kilos killing me <laughs> fitness and I'm like oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> that's brutal <laughs> yeah it's pretty brutal and how we run I love, no, I love, love Tokyo Tokyo is probably one of the best cities I've been to and lived uh, Japan's probably the best country I've lived in and um, now you're back in sunny Queensland um, <laughs> what next for you so you, you devote much of your time there to the club um, you just like being around rugby why, why do you love the sport of rugby um I guess I, I love the sport of rugby, and especially at Sunnybank, it's just just people, um, the club itself, um, and also paying, you know, just paying. How would you say it? Paying back, mm. uh, giving my time back to a club that's helped me reach well, helped me reach the higher levels, and uh, just giving back um, and sharing my what I know, my knowledge um, of the game. But then also, it's, I'm constantly learning and I'm constantly developing. And you know, I think I have to thank Sunnybank for. Um, Given me the opportunity to actually get a gig and uh, um, get to get some work over there down at the bank, so you know, very appreciative and uh, grateful for the opportunity. Yeah, and I think um, they'd be very grateful to have you there and have that experience and knowledge that you have. Um, it's been um, it's been lovely to talk to you, and I really appreciate your time. I look forward to what next for you. Thanks, Brando. Cheers, Katrina. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us at Rugby KO. Any comments or insights, please send to Katrina at rugbyko.com. For show notes and more about all things rugby, head to our website at www.rugbyko.com. We look forward to your company for our next episode of Rugby KO.